Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends? Maybe a mystery? Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three hour long story, like a movie for your ears. You can listen to these adventures in any order. Join us on an actual play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens Podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, and friendship. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Stop your slow clap. <laughs> why are you, why are you mm. from Texas now? Because uh, I got to choose my stock. <laughs> How's that for high energy? That's false advertising. <laughs> no. Oh, come on. Does every actor that portrays a cop in a movie have to wear a fedora? You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Mike Field is dead inside. <laughs> I'm actually trying to figure out who Brooklyn Duck is married to. Nice. Why? She doesn't like, say it like she that. She does say it like she that. She doesn't say it's it like stupid. that. Cowards. Cowards is what they're called, Mike. They're called cowards. Hello, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. When a blackout hits, it doesn't take long before Matthew and Annie start breaking the law to protect themselves as they steal medicine for their sick child. But when the power stays out for several days and violence erupts, both the couple and their friend Joe decide that the best action is driving to Annie's parents' home. During the long road trip, they must stop the steel gasoline, but those with resources are desperately guarding them. This is the trigger effect. You scared? I'm a little, uh, I'm a you, little on edge right now. You will be. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so the trigger effect is 94 minutes long. It's rated R. Production budget of eight million dollars. It came out on August 30th, 1996. We're in the 90s, Butler. Woo! Opening weekend, it did 1.8 million dollars domestic and worldwide are the same. So I'm just going to assume it didn't have a world release. 3.6 million. So not a hit. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Production company is <laughs> Amplin Entertainment, which is Spielberg, and distributed by Gramercy Pictures. Now, I did list the 30th as Trigger Effects release date. That's actually the limited release date for the Trigger Effect, just for those out there. I don't know if I got a wide. Uh, on the 30th, you had The Crow, City of Angels. That was the sequel to The Crow, correct? Yep. First Kid, The Stupids, and uh, Emma. Uh, yes. Stupids. Yes. Yes. An aptly titled name. On the 6th, which is the week after of September, you had the Spitfire Grill and a wide release, Bulletproof, and Bogus. And then the week before, the 23rd of August, you had a very Brady sequel, which I thought was funny. No, I think both of those, uh, the Brady movies were pretty good. Absolutely. The Island of Dr. Moreau, Carpool, and Solo. And in the limited release, She's the One, Foxfire, Freeway, and then again, the Spitfire Grill. I've, I've told you that was wide before. Written and directed by <laughs> David Kep. Uh, David Kep has also done uh, Stir of Echoes, which we did on season one. Season one. Ghost Town, which we did season two. Two? I think three. Three. I think you're right. Mordecai. And then the more recently, You Should Have Left. Uh, he's written Jurassic Park, the 2017 The Mummy, 
Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Zathura, Spider-Man, Mission Impossible, and Death Becomes Her a lot. David Kep is a big-time writer. David Kep's awesome. And he is awesome. Uh, this is actually based on a documentary series called Connections. I think it's based on the first episode, and that was done by James Burke. I think I have some more notes on that. Do I? And I do not. <laughs> uh, let's see. Where am I? Uh, cinematography by Newton Thomas Sigil. He's done more recently The Five Bloods, the Spike Lee movie on Netflix, The Usual Suspects, Foxfire, and the first X-Men movie. Composer James Newton Howard. He's nominated for an Oscar for his work on Defiance, Michael Clayton, great movie, The Village, The Fugitive, great movie, and The Prince of Tides. He's also done Fantastic Beasts, Major League, and Dave. But never won. Correct. This is a theme with composers that we keep doing. They never win. Well, we always talk about him in general. Well, I got you. I got you. Specifically. Give Uh, this guy an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) The monthly Give This Guy an Oscar speech by Mike Butler. (laughs) Produced by Michael Grillo. He was nominated for an Oscar for The Accidental Tourist. He also produced I Love You to Death, Wyatt Earp. Captain America, Winter Soldier, and the last two Avengers, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Edited by Jill Savitt. She has edited the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, I think. Secret Window, another David Kep movie, and The Lookout. Not a big cast. You had Kyle MacLachlan, Mike's favorite, as Matt. He is in the movie that we did called Blue Velvet. Nice. That was season Blue Velvet three, season two, two, yeah, I think. It was in the early years. <laughs> uh, it's Tune. TV show Twin Peaks and more recently he's going to be in a movie that we're going to do called The House with the Clock in its Walls. That is for your forgotten horror. A little tease there. Ooh. Elizabeth Shue as Annie. She's uh, Battle of the Sexes, Adventures of Babysitting. She also was nominated for an Oscar. No, she won. She was nominated for an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. She's uh, also from The Karate Kid and I'm going to again, Mike, tell you that you should watch Cobra Kai, <laughs> but anyways, she could be in season three. I'm just saying she might be in season three. This is a uh, running theme. <laughs> this will be until you watch the damn thing. <laughs> Dermot Moroni as Joe. He's more recently in the TV show Hannah, but he's also in The Gray, My Best Friend's Wedding, and Young Guns. Richard T. Jones as Raymond. He's in Event Horizon. Kiss the Girls, the TV show The Rookie, and then What's Love Got to What's Love Got to Do with It? Or What's Love Got? What's Love Got to Do with It? Sorry. I think I cut myself off here because it was uh I didn't have a I couldn't fit. I was like, I'll remember. And clearly <laughs> I didn't. Bill Smitrovich as Steph, which is a weird name for uh like what's that short for? Stefan? Why don't you say Stefan? I, I would guess Stefan. Why would you call that guy Stefan? Anyways, he's in the, <laughs> he was the father in the TV show Life Goes On. He's also in Nero Wolf TV show, which I love. He's also in the first two Teds. And he's in Iron Man, which I do not remember what part of Iron Man he was in. Michael Rooker as Gary. Michael Rooker is in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I believe that's his first film. He's also in Mississippi Burning, which is an awesome movie. JFK, Tombstone, Mallrats, and Days of Thunder, an underrated film. Jack Noseworthy as Prowler. He doesn't have a name. He's just Prowler. He's in the TV show Dead at 21. Uh, he's also an undercover brother in U571. And then Greg Grumberg is in there as Double Date Guy. Oh, yeah. Honey, I got a job. I'm Double Date Guy in this movie, The Trigger Effect. No way. The worst khakis. <laughs> with the worst I'm outfit. Doofy White Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tuck in your shirt? Are you kidding me? Can, yeah, tuck it in. Uh, of course. <laughs> yes, sir. I tuck it in every Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I dating this woman? <laughs> he's in the TV show Alias. And TV show Heroes. Well, we're actually, I actually like Greg Gumberg. I just think he was a really, his role here is just kind of like, can you help the guy out at least? Can you not make him <laughs> look like a doofus? No, we cannot. <laughs> All right. So I put this movie on the list because I remember this movie. One of the big things in this movie is I like the opening. And the opening of this movie, it starts off where these wolves are eating this carcass. 
Yes. And it's supposed to be a foreshadowing of what's to come, but then it kind of it kind of goes off and then you see the um the local mall. No, 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 no. It goes to the uh, electric well, station. It goes to the power station, yeah. Power station. Then it follows the cord, and you get a shot of the cord coming out and kind of like talking about how it's based on connections, like everything is connected to something, and somebody's bad mood affects somebody else's bad mood because that's what happens. Somebody gets uh, 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 icy or something, spills on the dude, he gets all him, ticked, yeah. and he bumps into this other guy, and he's like, what the heck, man? And then, and he's I was like, going to fight him. I and swear, he, I was And then him. he fights, he yells at his girlfriend, and then they meet double date guy, Craig Crumford. And he's like, I'm sorry, he's just mad. He's just mad. And they kind of like, and then it ticks off Grumberg's date she goes to the line and she just absolutely cuts absolutely cuts the line cuts richard chee jones off is every right to yell at her there and shame on the concessionist for not for not saying something and it ticks him off and he gets upset and then he's in the theater and then he starts talking in the theater about the story and then you meet well, our, his buddy starts talking. Well, they start talking back and forth, like, where's the popcorn? Oh, and, oh he yeah. talked about the situation. He's right. like, and then they start talking about the movie, but he's like obviously upset or annoyed. And then you meet the protagonist, which is Kamaglock and Elizabeth Shue. Their character's Matt and Annie. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and you know, tell do something, say something, because they're talking. And clearly, you know, Matt's afraid. Uh, because you know, Matt's you know, got a little bit of uh is he biased a little here, or is he just kind of just afraid, afraid of saying something? I think the whole thing is he's afraid of acting, right? Okay. Doing something. So he doesn't want to say anything or right. make a scene. Right, 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 right. So you just kind of get the sense that that's how this movie starts off where the one thing leads to another. And that's kind of like a little running theme throughout the movie. I liked this opening quite a bit um, because of that. That's what, you know, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, I'm really into this. Now, mind you, I'm, let's see, I'm 21 when this movie came out. Uh, so I'm just starting to realize that, oh, I want to be a filmmaker, a writer, and all that stuff. I'm doing all this stuff. And, and so that's kind of like this movie was just like, oh, I was interested in the storytelling aspect of this movie okay um i know you weren't a huge fan of it as, as much as i am i still like this movie i know you don't yeah i'm not at a, all i'm not a big right fan right, of this right, movie. right right uh so why don't we just why don't we start from there then why don't we go from maybe like something that you didn't like or because i've been talking for a while so <laughs> just kind of we'll go off of that uh well i do i before we begin with what i don't like which is most of the rest of the movie i do like that opening the opening is really good uh it's when the power shuts down that i think things get it's just so ridiculous Okay. It's so ridiculous in such a short amount of time. And I don't, I can't connect to any of the characters. Maybe uh, Joe, Matt and Annie's friend. He's, he's one of the ones I maybe connect with more than the other ones because he's a little more human. And, but I just find the situation ridiculous. And the, the I, I get it's trying to tell a story. So they have to be ready. It's got to be overblown. But it's just three days of no power and the world just kind of ends. It's well, just it's, a little ridiculous. It, it's not just no power though. There's a giant heat wave going on. Right. Everybody's so, hot and there's no power. It's just okay. supposed to be, whoa. Okay, <laughs> dude. Um, it's just, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, people reach a boiling point and to be fair, like no power heat waves. So there's no air conditioning. So people are already kind of on edge. And I gotta be honest. I haven't had, I didn't have power for three or four days during a storm, maybe a month ago. It gets to you at some point, not to the point where I'm going to get my shotgun and start shooting people. No, no, not to that point. You didn't go to the gun store and sell no, your watch? No, not to anything like that. But it does get to you just like, and this is in 96, so we're not even talking, we're talking no Wi-Fi, nothing like that. Nothing. I shouldn't say no computer, but like no expectation of always being connected like it is right. now. This might, this movie might make a lot more sense now because there's that, how everyone's always connected to everything. 
Yeah. As soon as you take that away, it can get a little unraveling. I would believe, yeah, I would believe it a little, maybe not to the extremes they go, but maybe if it was today, it would be a little bit more believable. But now, here's the thing, though. In this movie, they're they're in the process of building their house or having an addition added, and Joe is their friend, and he's a contractor, and they don't ask him to do it, and there's kind of a little, there's a little back and forth between Joe and Matt in this movie, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But they have somebody who breaks into their house, quote unquote, Prowler, and right. he's shot dead. Now yeah. he's shot dead. It's a little circumstance. It's a little like he's just shot like by their neighbor. Yeah. He, he No, I'm sorry. He's shot by their neighbor because and you get the idea like because Matt says, did, did you not see he didn't have a weapon? And yeah, did you not see? He's like, no, I knew he didn't have a weapon. So he just straight up shot him. Yeah, he just killed him to kill him. But he didn't die. He gets he grabs Joe's leg right and then joe stabs joe him has to stab so him joe kills him. him but joe so joe's killing is kind of self-defense in a way it is but it still affects joe like, for sure yeah right, right and that kind of makes him i won't say it changes him but it it kind of changes the relationship between joe and matt a little and joe is feeling a little bit quote-unquote more empowered you know just he openly flirts with annie and she openly flirts with him there's that kind of you know you're not my husband kind of thing and you know, because you, uh, I don't. Matt's kind of a he's kind of a flake. Like when she, in the first night, because he was it the first night that she kind of is turned on. And the first night she wants after, to have sex, but that's after he steals the no. That's before he steals that's before the medicine. He steals, she just wants to have sex after they watch the movie, right? And he's. And he's she's like sitting there. It. She's sitting there, like caressing herself on the door, and he's right. like oblivious. And he's and then he notices he's like, hey man, why don't you why don't you come sit next to me? What yeah, is that's not the move. Action. That's not the move, right? But that's right. the whole thing is like even in the bedroom, he doesn't really take action. He waits for someone else to make the move. And whatever. and that's a running theme for Matt throughout the movie to to the point where it's supposed to be at the end where he takes action. But his action at the end is is he's more of a bad guy in that point. He breaks into Raymond's house to steal his car because they need the car because their friend got shot. Because Joe gets shot, Joe by, gets shot. Uh, by Gary. Right. Michael Rooker's Yeah, because they want to steal gas and he shoots him and, and all that good stuff. But like he's the bad guy in that. And if I was Raymond, I wouldn't absolutely believe him when he's like, I just need the car and I'll bring it back. I was like, no. I mean, like, get out. Like it so I don't. I understand what you're saying. Like he's not a man of action, but the action that he takes in the end is kind of not, not something I'm about. Maybe I don't, I don't think it's something he's about. I think it's he's he feels like it's his last straw. Right. So he goes, does that once the once he sees Raymond's daughter, and sees basically why Raymond was so untrusting to begin with. Right. He's like, oh man, what have I done? Mm-hmm. But he still has to help Joe. So he goes, you're going to trust me because I'm going to let you basically shoot me. I have to take this. I got you. You can shoot me if you want. But Matt has a history of in this movie of jumping down people's throats, especially we haven't talked about how he steals the medicine. If he doesn't get his way, if like his peaceful just asking being the nice guy doesn't get his way, he's upset by that. It's like he doesn't. He's a bit of a Karen. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) If the world doesn't work in the nice proper way that he wants he, he gets all disjointed he but he get, but it's almost is it too much do you think yeah i think this whole movie is a little too much <laughs> no, relax, but relax. yes i think he is his it's just he jumps the gun way too quick all the time but he didn't jump the gun in the theater 
but that's kind what, of they move the power was on. So you didn't lose the power. power. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the, that's the whole point of the power being out and the and, and the heat wave is it's gonna it pushes you to kind of like a breaking point where right. you, you you kind of tip over real easy. So I get that, but he's it's really just him that's I mean, we do I guess Joe's affected in a way, but not not Annie. Annie's just more Annie's Annie maybe gets affected in that her ridiculousness of her character kind of increases that I need a real man kind of character that I'm I should leave Matt. Maybe we're not happy attitude that just becomes this weird, horny weirdo, horny weirdo. It's just I don't like the scene in the that first night, like the fireplace scene where they're playing games and she's just getting drunk. Yes. Yeah, that happened. Why don't you like that? I just, it's just awkward. It's weird. Why is it weird? Her character is just, people do this. <laughs> it's just not. It's not normal. It's people don't do that so openly. She's she's almost a caricature at that point. And then the scene in the kitchen later on after Joe has killed the guy, it's a little more believable because tensions are higher. Someone was murdered. Do you not have friends that openly flirt with Elise? No. Mm, are you paying attention? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this there there are some there are people that are, there are, there are not good people in the world, Mike. And I, I understand. That. You have to you have to like you know what. You should go to like a PTO meeting or like some kind of event where all these parents are there because you could just you could spot it. You could be like, mm, "What's going on there?" Like when here, here's 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 something that's a red flag. So I pick up my kids in the at school when we when we were doing that. Yeah, and you notice like there's always like there's like one father there and he's like talking to like five or six women and it's just like, <laughs> "Come on, man!" I mean, like there's social and then there's what's going on. What's what's going on here? So. That stuff does happen, and I'm, I'm not saying that it's going to happen with you, but you just you keep, keep an eye on. Keep an eye on. You never know. You might. You never know. You might invite a Joe into your house. It's less the Joe's fault. It's more Annie. Just like absolutely, just. Well, can you? Can, she's oh, got a milk toast husband. He stinks. I understand that. Just leave your. I just. I. I don't know. But then I don't like Annie. Then I don't like Annie, and I don't like well, any of the characters. That's well, that's fine. Thing. Maybe you're not supposed to like any of the characters. Then why do maybe I care about? The maybe movie? it's not about liking or disliking them. It's just understanding that you know sometimes people become something that they're. The, that they never thought they could become in terms of just like you look at the Michael Roker character, like the Gary character. When you first see him at the end, he's set up as to be a bad guy. Right. But he's not. I mean, he is because he shoots Joe, but he's just somebody who's he's got no gas. His car broke down. He's just needs he's a just lift. He's trying to get a ride. And you think he's the bad guy because of how. And nobody helps him. Yeah. You see him through their eyes, kind of. Absolutely. That's way. And granted, he does, you know, shoot Joe. But Joe is about to shoot him. Well, yeah, I think he was going to scare him. I think. Yeah, you but, really think Joe's gonna blow him away? Gary doesn't know that. I I hear yeah. you. No, I got you. But no, I, I that part I really liked because I liked when Gary shoots him and then he's shocked by his own actions and he's right. like, "I wasn't gonna do anything." Right, right, this right. This your fault. I was just wanted some gas. I just wanted a ride. Yeah. And on the flip side, you almost have that same kind of character, same kind of moment. We talked about it already when the prowler gets shot by Steph, where he shoots him and he doesn't. He knows he didn't have a gun, but he shoots him anyways because he's clearly obvious he was afraid. And then he plants the weapon, right? Which kind of gets Matt all up in arms and upset. Doesn't understand how he could do that, and gets that weirds Matt out a little bit. I think that's the first time you see some bravery in Matt. Him kind of he lies for Steph, but he more lies for Joe, right? But that like you did something wrong, and I I, I don't owe you anything, and I'm not going to talk to you, and I'm not going to what you did is messed up, right? You get that too at the end of the movie too, when Matt sits on his he sits on his front porch and. He sees Steph. And Steph. Steph goes inside. Yeah, he's yeah, he, kind of like claiming his territory. Yeah, he won't. He won't talk to him. Was that after 
the when they shoot the prowler or when he stabs the prowler, is that before or after they get the gun? Do they get the gun the next day? They've already had the gun. Because she Annie throws has it, thrown in, it in the pool. No, she throws it. So the night that the prowler shows up, before she goes to bed, she takes the shotgun and she tosses it in the pool. And then, and then the, okay, Joe yep, wakes them yep, both up, yep, and yep. you think Joe's going to murder Matt or whatever, or whatever he's going to. They do. kind of, yeah, they have that little thing, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that night they kiss though. Annie and Joe kiss that night. They kiss after the prowler, prowler. right? Okay. So then he goes because where's the shotgun? I threw it in the pool. You threw it in the pool. Yeah. And then he's all mad. So Matt has the baseball bat. Yes. And he's got the uh, and Joe's got the knife, and that's how they go after, go after the prowler. prowler. Yeah. yeah. The next day. Joe jumps into the pool and he's testing all the shotgun shells. Which makes me like when Steph shoots the dude, shoots the prowler in the middle of the street, everyone comes out. When Joe's in the backyard in the middle of the day testing the bullets and he fires one, testing nobody the comes uh, nobody comes out. No, okay. <laughs> oh, it's just a neighbor testing the shotgun out. What I thought was interesting is how quick the cops come oh, after yeah. the shooting of the prowler. It's like, so there's no phones. Your neighbors haven't even come out yet. Now the cops are going to show up. Well, I mean, you could explain that away with it, just doing routine rounds, but I understand. I understand. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, I can't believe you didn't like this movie. I was not, and I thought I was going to like it because of David Kep, and I love Kyle MacLachlan, and I really like Dermot Mulroney. Just isn't in enough stuff. Well, we talk uh, about. I think we've talked. We talk about. Was it in this movie or was it another movie he was in that he's a trained uh, cellist? He's a tra- he. He does like movie scores. He'll work on like orchestral scores with mm-hmm. people. Just be one of the guys in there, and he's like extremely talented. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's just pretty cool that you. I think I think that's a pretty neat fact that he does that. I mean, it's cool when actors have like other things that they do within the film, other than being, I'm now a quote unquote producer on this movie. Yeah, like when they're actually more involved in I did this or that, or you learn Topher Grace's edited stuff like that. But they take more of a hands on approach in things. I like that. Yeah, that's that was more for I think Topher Grace editing is it was a lot of it to do with like just kind of it's a hobby for him. It's a hobby too, but I know he had to do it after he was in Black Klansman because he plays David Duke and it was such a evil role that he really it really bugged him to do it. Right. And uh, you know, even like I think he was on the set and like Spike Lee is telling him, No, you're doing this because it's you you need to be this guy. And and so I think he edited some I can't remember what he edited, but he I think that he had edited Star Wars previously. So I think this was the Hobbit. Yeah, to to kind of like clean cleanse his palate kind of thing. Right. Um, I I know I mentioned that this is based on the Connections TV show, like the first episode, of like the 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 nonfiction show. It's also a little bit inspired by the monsters we're doing on Maple Street, which is the Twilight Zone episode, mm-hmm. and then a stop at Willoughby. I never I know about the monsters we're doing on Maple Street. But I don't know about a stop on Willoughby at Willoughby because they live on the corner of Maple and Willoughby. Do you know about the second one? I don't know that. One I don't is. know. That okay, one. obviously I know the Maple Street one. I do know that the ending reminded me a lot of because I saw that fact while I was watching the movie. So at the end of the movie, when Matt goes back inside his house and it's more complete and you can see into the kitchen through their big bay window they got now and the camera pans up, it's very Twilight Zone, right. you know, 1960s-esque, like perfect suburbia and the way it's lit and stuff like that. And the camera pans up. You like that? I like that. You know, what, you know what else you would like? The Vast of Night, which I've told you to watch several times as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just to go back to Maroney and his... Uh... Train cello stuff. He's actually worked on the scores for Rogue One, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Mission Impossible 3 and 4. Ooh. Right? Right? I Good like stuff. most of those movies. You don't, let's see, let's guess. You don't like, you don't like MI3. Correct. You're, you're incorrect. It's not that bad. It's, Philip Seymour Hoffman is awesome in that one. I watched it again. 
Come on. I still didn't like it. Philip Seymour Hoffman is great. He in that is movie. amazing. Man, I know you. That doesn't I know, make you, I know your name. <laughs> I know. Oh, man, he's good in that, mo- that role. We'll find your family. Oh, I'm God. It's kidding. so awesome. <laughs> Come on. I can't believe you don't like that. I like him. The movie itself is not good. Oh, it's. <laughs> Agree to disagree. You're wrong. Fine. This movie's also You're wrong. So <laughs> we talked about Matt a little bit before, and I, we mentioned that, you know, it's somebody who jumps quick to anger and stuff like that. Right. But I want to jump on that a little bit more. Do you ever think he learns his lesson? Do you think that at the end of the movie, he actually learns a lesson? Because I don't think so. Because like, here's my note. I get Matt's anger and frustration, but he's never empathetic to anybody. And we talked about that a little bit. He never shows any kind of empathy. He just, he has that moment with the neighbor when, when he shoots the burglar in the beginning. Like, you, like you kind of get the sense that he's supposed to be the conscience of everybody watching the movie. Right. But he's not. He's just always angry. And I don't think he ever, at the end of the movie, ever learns a lesson. I think he and Joe learn a lesson together and sure. appreciate each other. And they put aside their differences. And obviously, Matt realizes that what Joe has always been envious of isn't like getting with Annie, but it, that life that Matt has, that that husband, wife, kid, house kind of thing. Yeah, Joe wants that. Joe wants that life. And I think Matt learns that and they kind of become closer together at the end. But yeah, I don't think Matt really learns his lesson because he goes in all angry and frustrated. Right. Figures out that way sucks, mm-hmm. which he always kind of thought sucked goes back to his meekness to try to win the day and his meekness kind of wins yeah i guess so he really doesn't i don't i agree i don't think he really learns a lesson the only lesson he learns or he kind of reestablishes his friendship with joe and that's essentially the only character change i think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think annie doesn't learn a lesson but just stays with matt (laughs) because the movie calls for it do you think she's underwritten oh yeah yeah, you think yeah, this is just, just more about Joe and Matt? She's a catalyst, and that's I think that's what I don't like about Annie because she's just so over the top with her horniness and her falling over <laughs> her falling over Joe in front of Matt and her her yeah she's just like almost like I, like I know she's drunk in that one scene on on the red wine, but it's almost like she's on drugs. Like she, it's it's so over the top just to spark something within Joe and Matt. But I get the I get the feeling that I they don't really dive into it too much but like they're college buddies or something like that they've known each other forever so they're that they're familiar with each other that yeah, way so like from, like from, childhood from, friends, right yeah. right so i i understand the kind of crossing of the lines or the gray areas of um affection and, and whatnot and like you know never to cross over a certain line but because you're pushed to that edge that's what the line that crossed there's a couple lines in this movie that i like where she's i think it's when they kiss when she asks him like oh i thought you were dating so and so you know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. he's like, no, we broke up. And she's like, that didn't take long. And he's like, long enough. Yep. <laughs> like, I like that line. I love the line when they're playing the games. And I think it's Matt who says, let's play life. And Joe's like, nobody plays life anymore. And it's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, that kind of works on both levels. But I really like the line. And I think it's just a throwaway line. When they're going to go downstairs and kill or not kill, but they're going to go downstairs and stop the prowler. Stop the prowler. And Joe turns to Matt and he's like, you ready for this? Like, it's like real, like quick. It's like, you know, like, okay, let's go. That's almost like, yeah, let's go. You, you kind of like, or it gets you interested into the scene. Right. So, and then that might've been, I wonder if that was like a, just a throwaway line, but they just toss it in there or whatever. But I like that line. I like little moments like that. Um, but yeah, no. And then I think that same, like, I'm just going through lines now. That same, <laughs> that same moment with Annie and, and Joe, when they're kind of like, flirting a little what it's in 
it's in the kitchen. I think it's lit all blue because most of the night stuff is like all this like moon blue nightlight kind of it's stuff. It's very 90s. Yeah. No, higher budget. Right. Not like Red Rock West 90s night lighting, but like a high, slightly higher budget. But it makes sense because the opening of the movie, when they have the wolves and they go up to the, the power station, the light that's up top that's flashing is a blue light. Oh, for sure. So I think yeah. blue is a theme here. Um, I believe the poster is mostly. Blue it is. As the, well, yeah. 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 There's definitely, it's definitely shaded blue a lot of times in the movie, especially at night. But in that scene, when they're in the kitchen, she asks Joe, like, what are you thinking? And he's like, nothing good. Like that kind of line too, right. like stuff like that. There's just a bunch of lines in here. Maybe that's just, we said we like David Kemp. We think he's awesome. David Kemp's dialogue is awesome. Right, right. Right. There's a lot of stuff like, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this movie. I think when we did Stir of Echoes, we mostly just commented that we just were repeating yeah. lines that we really like. Yeah, it's, that's Kep is great. Dialogue. I, I always remember the the line in Stir of Echoes when Kevin Bacon's like, I didn't realize that I didn't think I'd ever be just this ordinary. Like that yeah. line, I thought that's a great line. It's such a good line. But anyways, yeah. So there's in terms of the dialogue and the character interactions, I don't think I think we both can agree that those are well done. You're more on like the glass half empty side than I am. I'm more on the glass half full side in terms of the overall story elements, mm-hmm. which is fine. But I think we have the, some, we have basically the same kind of quote unquote issues in terms of just the plot. Right. And I the think story. Our, our issues are the same, although I don't like the Annie stuff as much as you, you seem to like. Well, it. What, do you, what do you mean? Like what Annie she's, stuff? She's just ridiculous. I just don't, her character, her on the whole, the, on the whole, like, no, I agree that she's, it's a little underwritten. Yeah. And she's not, this is clearly a Joe and Matt movie. And she's in the middle just to kind of stir that up. Right. Um, but then again, I don't understand what type of movie you're telling if you're giving her a bigger, bigger role. That's all. No, I mean, you, you have need to more. give her a subplot or something else has to happen. It would make for a longer movie. She needs to go with Matt is- to go break in, like stuff like that. There probably needs yeah. to be another character here. Um, she doesn't really ever interact with gary initially she's always in the car with the baby mm-hmm. she never really interacts with raymond maybe in the opening when she's like say something but in the they, theater but that's they, that's coincidental yeah, she that's has no funny. interaction in terms of any kind of dialogue even honestly she doesn't have any kind of dialogue with anybody with the exception of joe or matt when the prowler gets shot they all go to the neighbor's house and sit around she's there but it's all like a group dynamic She's never really interacts with anyone else other than Joe and Matt. Right. I don't think Joe and Matt really interact either. Well, no. Uh, Matt says something. Yeah, I he think says something. But yeah, Joe. They they both say stuff. But most I'm, of it's them yeah. realizing the neighbors are morons and yeah. they're just gonna fight. Him. I don't know how things they do things where you come from. He's like Miami. I'm from Miami. Miami. When he's talking to, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, obviously I don't know if he's Pakistani or Indian or something. Yeah. Like that, but like he's clearly not. Uh, quote unquote, uh, he's non-white or whatever it is. But yeah, he, obviously you see that racism coming through. Wait a minute. Was that Steph that says that? Was Steph. that Smetrovich that says that care that to him? No, it's one of the. I don't believe it was Steph. I think it was an older gentleman. The guy's house the that thing. they're at. Yeah, yeah. The guy's house that's just a nice line. Miami. I come from Miami. Oh, that's yeah. a great line. I like that. You know, I think we have some issues, and yeah, you. I think you forgive a lot of stuff because you like kept. So you yeah. have kept glasses on. Oh, stop it! Oh, you stop it! If you this stop was, it! If this was another movie by another person, you would have the same issues as me, and you wouldn't no, appreciate. No, it's that. not. It's like not it just. Listen, it's not just because Kep. He his movies are movies that somebody who is aspiring to be a storyteller or a filmmaker finds stuff in there that they like, and that's. I'm not saying that you don't. I'm just saying maybe that's why. But you don't like Secret Window. I really don't. Like I know you don't Window. like Secret Window. I mean, you've watched it once, but that's okay. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. How many times do, if you really don't like something, do you watch something? I get you, but yeah. I'm just saying like, it's, but again, this movie came out when I was 21. So this is when I was first starting to get into stuff like that. I gotcha. And even now, like I said, there's stuff that I agree with you on a lot of your points. I just, right. I'm not so like, Oh, negative on it. Like you are, you're real negative. Yeah, You're I'm real the, negative, yeah. Nelly. Real negative, real negative. Nelly. The last like eight movies we've done that I've chosen, you've been like, there haven't been good. I get, I get one that I don't like. You're just still pissed <laughs> off about Rango. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I just there's just. I mean, it's got a lot of it's got like a lot of one shots that I like. It's got a lot of long takes that I like. I've just talked to you about dialogue that I enjoyed. Um, you know, my I like the character of Joe. I like his character. I like that he's not one note. He's more, he's layered a little Joe's, bit. Joe's a really good character. Right. But unfortunately, Joe is, Joe takes a backseat to Matt. Which, and, I, and I I'm like, not a huge Matt guy. I love Kyle McLaughlin. And I'm glad he's playing a more normal character. Mm. Whereas he usually plays a, a, a weirdo. He's a, he's a bit of a puss in this movie. He is, yeah. but he's not like a, he's not playing someone who's David Lynchy or like a Tim Burtony kind of oddball character. That makes sense. So it's good to see him in a more mainstream kind of way. But yeah, he's he's not interesting. Joe is interesting. Joe is layered, and we don't get enough Joe. And Joe gets shot for the last third of the movie. So true. Joe's whole action is to shake there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you also have like Matt's not. He's he's kind of a dick. Like he um when they go to buy the gun, he is like Joe. You're good with this oh, stuff. Good. Yeah. You go yeah. Ahead. And you it's kind of like it's like a backhanded. Like Matt's like all white privilege. Like he's all like that kind of, I can understand why people don't like him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and he doesn't live in the real world. I don't even know what his job is. Like I have, I have the half feeling that his job is like Chandler and uh, friends where he's like a transponster. <laughs> 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 like that's not his job, but like that's, but you know, like that his job is just probably so bland. His job is boring office guy. Yeah, exactly. Like Joe is actually somebody who is living in the real world, deals with people on a, on a, more personal level or more realistic level. Let's he's say. a contractor. Yeah. Right. So, and he's, and you clearly, you get the idea that he's like, he's a good, good contractor. He talks about when he comes in, he's like, I could have done this for you. You're getting ripped off. And he, you know, yeah, he's a, and you can understand why Annie is attracted to him. Cause he's a quote unquote real man kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's probably why we both like that Joe character. Cause he is a little bit more rounded and he's a character that we thought we can root for a little bit more. Whereas Matt, you just can't. I can't. I'm sorry, but I know that like you talk about how at the end of the movie he sits down and he kind of claims his territory when he, he stares at that. Like, I don't feel that heroic moment for him. I still think he's a puss. You know what I mean? For him in that moment, his character. Sure. I think he's learned to stand up to himself. I don't think he's. See, I don't think he's a puss at the end, but I do think he's still a selfish dick at the end. Yeah, I got you. I don't think he's learned. He's closer with his friend. But I, I do feel like he's maybe a little bit braver. Like, I feel like if someone yells mm. at him, he's going to stand up to him a little bit. I, yeah, but then I think he'd get his ass kicked. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's <laughs> and he deservedly so. You he's still not a good guy. You know what would help him? Some Cobra Kai lessons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. away. <laughs> what? I like that. All right. So Mike didn't like the trigger effect. I did. We both like Joe and the trigger effect. Is there anything else you want to bring up about the movie? I like. When he gets into Raymond's house, the whole movie is blue. Yep. And the way it's lit at night when he gets to Raymond's house is like definitely like spotlights everywhere. Right, right, right. But when he gets into the house, the house has this orange red motif to it. It's also lit it. by the fire. He's got the fireplace going. Right. right? Yep. So it's it's really orange and red against that blue motif we've been seeing for most of the movie, especially mm -hmm. during the night scene. 
that I really like that change. Like Raymond doesn't live in their world, Matt, Annie, and Joe's world. He right. lives in his own story. And he kind of, we see a little bit of it. He has his own story. And I really enjoy that color motif that changes once you're in Raymond's house. I kind of would have liked to have seen this movie be more of an ensemble piece where you had more of Raymond's story. You had more of Gary's story kind of bring it I would into have liked a moment. That a little bit more. Yeah. I think that would have been something that's that would be more interesting to see. Yep. Because you do kind of have that blending because when they are in the gun shop, Raymond's in there asking about bullets for his gun, for his handgun. Yes. Uh, so it would be nice to kind of see the story plot kind of like inter- intersect and Intertwine as like, like leave go Joe and Matt like for Raymond and his story. I mean, granted, you're not going to get the reveal of the daughter of the daughter because you kind of hide that in the diner right right but still i think it would be a little bit more engaging in terms of an audience watching it i don't know yeah i i I kind of been interesting yeah like that yeah yeah i think this this the idea of the trigger effect i think it really is more you can get your point across you can tell your story better with an ensemble piece and tell how different people rather than just focus on the three white people that live in suburbia. I think that's a little bit not indicative narrow. Of, the, of, of yeah. I, yeah. Narrow is a better term, a bit narrow view of what the story you're trying to tell. I also I, think for me, I need a better catalyst. I need something a little bit more. I need than a, a heat wave more, in the, okay. Maybe a few more days have passed. Sure. It's just, it's three days. It's just not enough time for me. Sure. Sure. I think you do it a week, two weeks. You maybe fast forward a little bit of time. Oh, now we don't have food in the fridge kind of a thing. Yeah. Like you don't really get to the point where it's like, again, this is like pre-internet and stuff like that. These people in suburbia chilling your pool. I I think it it would. uh, I really think if you did something like a movie like this now. Where everyone's expectation is to always be online and connected and to be able to contact people. And you remove electricity, but you also remove cellular data network. Yeah. Like that is something that after two or three days that you're going to get stir crazy and maybe not. You probably have to do something more than just a heat wave or a uh, power outage. You probably need to do something kind of like a snowstorm or like a big storm that has blocked roads and you can't get places. You yeah. know what I mean? So you, so it's not necessarily a snowstorm, but like you had a huge storm come in and trees are down everywhere or the fear of not knowing what caused the outage true which true. they kind of play out a little bit but then they kind of ignore where joe's like oh, i heard it was a meteor went down stuff like that yeah like, you could you can build that up to almost like a war of the world type thing where the story has conflated itself to these people are panicking oh, i heard it was we were being invaded yeah. on whatever see that and stuff like that, that seems though like that's more like along the lines of the inspiration from twilight zone so they're trying to do something they're throwing that in there because of that I get that. Yeah. But if you did that and you have this story that's overblown, that story is scaring people. Yeah. And in that case, maybe you don't need it to be a week. That three days is enough because now people think it's one of those few things that are like, it's the end of the world. That would be good if you started off the, the whole thing and you you show like the first 15, 20 minutes, you have everybody's life. Oh, but, but doing this. Yep. Okay. And then like there's an explosion off into the distance and everything goes out. And then you start, then you're like, you don't know what it is. Let's go to it. Let's find, you know, you have no idea you're getting, that would be good. Yeah. That would be, that's probably a little bit, that's a different story. Obviously we're talking about, but we're saying that maybe this, this idea is good enough where I'd like to see it again in a different way. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. 
All right. So tell everyone where they can find us, Mike. <laughs> you can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com because we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. You can also find us on the social medias at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Forgotten Cinema or Forgotten Cinema Pod. We post pretty much daily. And by we, I mean field right there. <laughs> yeah, it's May. It's May. <laughs> we do commercials every Thursday, so check those out. You can find us wherever you're listening to podcasts. If someone's playing this for you right now, you can listen to it where they're listening to it or find it wherever you want to find podcasts. We're there. And you should rate, <laughs> review, and subscribe to us. And join us next week. We're going to be doing a 2007 film, Mr. Brooks, starring Kevin Costner and Dane Cook and Demi Moore. Right, I forgot. Ooh, I've never seen this movie before. I'm really? Interested. I'm excited yeah. to see uh, All right, all right, all right, all right. So that's Mr. Brooks next week, and that is our last movie before we get into Mike's favorite time of Forgotten Cinema Year, where we dive into Forgotten Horror. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but we're not there yet. We uh, still got one more to go. Mr. Brooks next week. Uh, we'll see you then. I am Mike Field. I am Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. I'm from Miami. Miami. I just like that line. Listen, it's just the pink stuff. I need the pink stuff. It's in the pink file. Oh, you've right. got to be behind the talk counter. About I that know you've got to be behind the counter. You didn't talk about that guy. That is the scariest pharmacist I've ever seen. <laughs> Scary. I love the guy with the ball who just calls him out. Is helping him and then calls him out. Hey, I, hey man. I'm an agent of chaos. <laughs> <laughs>